what's the exciting either early tea or random snack you've pulled out this evening, Mr. Borrow? Uh, two bourbon biscuits to go along with the most disgusting strongbow I've ever tasted in my life. Chocolate and strongbow. Well, it's not going to be doing either of those <laughs> those foodstuffs any fucking favours, is it? Let's be honest here. Well, it's strongbow called dark fruit. Oh, good God, man! <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Okay. To be fair, Apple's strongbow is cider. End the story. Strongbow is quite broken. Let's face it, Strongbow exists because it has the highest specific ABV to price. I was going to say, of, as, of soon as, it goes, pub. as soon as it goes below four four pound for a four pack, that's fine by me. <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk about that later. Yeah, all right, fine. You're wasting gold. <clears throat> yeah, <cool. laughs> is that a euphemism for pissing strong? <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the AV Forness podcast for the 19th of March 2014 and joining me on this edition is assistant editor Steve Withers. One gay beer for my gay friend, one normal beer for me because I am normal. Really? Games editor Mark Botwright. We shall strike a balance between culture and fun. And uh, audio reviewer Ed Selly. Purgatory is kind of like the in-between one. You weren't really shit, but you weren't all that great either. Like Tottenham. Okay, let's kick off with some Twitter fun. So, Steve, explain this one. Uh, actor Wayne Knight, he's the guy that was in Jurassic Park and Seinfeld, the fat yeah. guy. Basically, somebody said he was dead. IMDB changed the profile to say he's dead, and then he came on Twitter to say otherwise. Yeah, well, I mean, it's been uh, it's not been a great couple of months in terms of actors popping their clogs legitimately. Uh, obviously, we've had Philip Seymour Hoffman recently. We, we had uh, Paul Walker dying quite tragically in a car crash before Christmas. And then at the weekend, it became, you know, someone... I guess the rumour started on Twitter... But apparently, someone said that he had been killed. Wayne Knight had been killed in in a car accident, and um, everyone was starting to say, you know mention their commiserations and eulogies. And then IMDb actually updated their website to say died on on Saturday. At which point, Wayne Knight had to go onto Twitter and say, "No, I'm not dead. I'm still quite alive. Unfortunately, it seems to have disappointed some of you, but uh, I am still around." And um, yeah, I guess it just goes to show that in the modern age, you know, with with social networking, rumours, even ones that aren't true get around really quickly. I've got to find nowadays that when I see something pop up on Twitter, the first place I check is is proper news sites. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'll go and check uh, Associated Press and the BBC just to double check before before taking in anything that's on Twitter. It is a problem, Ed, isn't it? It's one that's come up a number of times now. Uh, yes, and what it gets worse and worse and worse as you've got a complete... I don't, I'm going to sound old now, but you've got a complete generation of people who don't seem to examine fact in the same way that perhaps that that, that we used to it, it, it all all news sources are create apparently created equal in the eyes of some people and you know they'll just spout off on on the on the craziest on the craziest sites i have to say it all seems quite it, it looking at the backstory as well which i have to be honest forced me to go to the mail online site which i'm not happy about when you're with us i mean that's that's pretty grim um the it, you know died in a car crash i was looking at you know let's face it wayne knight he's not the speltest human being if it was like had a massive coronary or you know was in in a hot dog eating contest and the, you know moved on to the other side that just seems more legit than just random car accident but obviously it's sort of irrelevant because he's, he's not dead i mean he should have gone and gone and, ah, 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 he didn't say the magic word <laughs> something like that really for just added dramatic effect but 
obviously, presumably he was just busy pointing out that he's not dead. I did describe him to Phil as the fat bloke in Jurassic Park, but obviously he, he's more famous, I guess, for playing Newman in Seinfeld. Only to uh, you. As I say, I looked at him and went, oh, it's Dennis Nedry. I, I, I have no idea. I've, I've never, I've never really watched Seinfeld, so that was kind of an irrelevance. But no, Dennis Nedry. That's that's who he is. <laughs> um, well, I suppose, I suppose, yeah. If you got like Paul Walker, you know, dying in a car crash. Given that he'd made his name in the Fast and Furious films, that wasn't entirely a surprise. <laughs> so, so Ben Knight needs to be eaten by a dinosaur. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> if, if you have to die in some way that reflects your film career. He needs to get eaten by a dinosaur. <laughs> Blinded by it and then eaten by it. <laughs> it's life imitating art, art imitating life, so on and so forth. Not not unheralded. But I mean, it must be said, if if as an actor you can only die in a way that, that um you know you it, died on if screen. it thrills that you done. I mean certain actors would be laughing all the way at the bank, really. I mean it's like Patrick Stewart can only really die if he's killed by a mutant or his spaceship suffers from fatal decompression issues. That that would be quite handy. He'd be effectively immortal. Or if you're um, Ian McKellen, you can just come back and <laughs> a couple yeah. of times. No problem. Any actor that's played Jesus is laughing. <laughs> Well, apart from the crucifixion, I was going to say, not laughing. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily singing, always look on the bright side of life, I <laughs> But I guess it's just a sign of the times, isn't it, really? That you have to go on Twitter now to tell people that you're not dead after rumour starts that you are. At least the internet permits you to point out that you're not dead. Curious historical fact um, in 1904. Uh, the Russians and the Japanese had an enormous naval battle off uh, the uh, Pacific island of Tsushima. Uh, and the Russian admiral that commanded the fleet, he was soundly beaten, but he didn't die at, in in the action at all. Um, and uh, he returned to Russia and was sufficiently forgotten about that he received an invitation to his own memorial service. <laughs> and and he didn't have the luxury of Twitter to go, actually, do you know what? I'm I'm not actually dead. So look on the bright side. It could be a lot worse. Yeah, no publicity is bad publicity. <laughs> That's very true. You never know, he might get a film role out of this now that his name's been bandied about. Oh, yeah, he's still alive. Well, let's, let's get him. <laughs> See, I often I suspect a mischievous publicist somewhere. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, It's very hard to work out where viral marketing ends and, and, and abject bullshit begins. So, yeah, and, and, yeah. and public stupidity takes over. Um, I just remember his other famous role, which is he's the sweaty police officer who gets all worked up about Sharon Stone's lack of knickers. Yes, that's very true. Seen the base yes. against it. <laughs> yes, the over-the-top beaver shot. Is that a technical term? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm just waiting on uh, you know news outlets like Sky reporting that Lord Lucan was on flight MH370, you know the missing Malaysian flight. Oh, I tell you what, the spiralling out of control of uh, th- this is now going in two directions. The um, the tinfoil hat collective are rapidly disappearing into a vortex of idiocy, which is impossible to follow. Are you trying to suggest um, it's not aliens? Then? Because I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> I mean, um, the only expo- if you, we've eliminated all the other explanations, the only one left is the is, is the is, but, is the well, you know, this, you know this what? is completely completely true. But nonetheless, uh, I for the moment I'm going to suggest terrestrial causes. Unlike that bloke in that history program, Ancient Aliens, and the, there's that meme. It's like I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens, and there's <laughs> some cracking pictures for that. But um, at the other end of it, obviously, and as a bad person, I pay perhaps more attention to this. The um, the bizarrely tasteless stuff appearing at the darker sides of the internet. I mean, obviously, someone put um, an advert for a used Boeing 777 on the Vietnam Craigslist. 
<laughs> Darkly brilliant, if yeah. I'm completely honest, but not in the best of taste. And the other one doing the rounds is a, is a picture of MH370 with um, Hide and Seek Champion 2014. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, taking a serious look at this i mean technology wise because we're supposed to talk about tech so let's talk about a little bit of tech <laughs> um with all the technology that we have i mean the americans were saying from day one that you know it wasn't a flying on that course it turned around it was off on some other course they'd been able to track it and were ignored obviously a lot of politics in that but when, if you think about the technology that is available that was on the aircraft as well and the complexity of that to turn it all off as is suggested you know you can see why the Ten Hat Brigade are up in arms and coming out with all sorts of theories because it is a little bit strange, Ed. It's very strange, but by the same token, I think as much as anything else, it actually demonstrates an astonishing complacency. Uh, you know, obviously, we're both big fans of air crash investigation. Um, and one of the things that crops up repeatedly is there's these days the term radar is interchangeable with actually looking at a return signal from the plane or object that you're tracking by radar and getting a return signal from a transponder and it's not necessarily clear where one ends and one begins on this um as i understand it these planes are tremendously complicated but they still have a basically a circuit breaker board accessible to the flight crew where you can turn off large portions of the of the of you know some of the, the circuitry for the plane um and it's been been done there was the silk air crash which was pilot suicide where yeah. it, there's strong evidence that the guy just disabled cvr transponder a couple of other things before sticking the plane into the ground um and that astonishing incident with the fedex plane with auburn calloway who tried to murder the flight crew as a as a jump seat yeah. passenger? Tried to murder them with a hammer, and he kept trying to trip the flight the flight data recorder circuit breaker, so the plane wasn't recording the data correctly. So, because of the nature of having to service these things and keep them in the air as often as possible, these these functions are accessible. And if someone knows what they're doing, you can turn off. Uh, and this is where I think it gets complicated because I think the plane's transponder might be turned off, but it might be harder to, to. I mean, it seems clear that the engines were sending data for hours and hours and hours, but unfortunately not necessarily where they were, simply what they were doing. So it's as if the location data was turned off, but because the plane kept flying, some of the other telemetry continued to be sent. But it just highlights the fact that we're kind of reliant that. The, you know, we just accept that the transponders keep transponding, all the other data keeps being sent as before. If you actually have to track something, you know, without the benefit of it telling you what it is, I don't think it's as easy as, it, especially over more, more isolated stretches of water, I don't think it's anything like as easy as we, we kind of assume it to be. I, I just don't get the whole furore about this. Uh, you know, you remember the Air France flight from uh, Rio de Janeiro? Yeah, it disappeared. It took was it a week and a half, two weeks to find the wreckage on that, but there wasn't the whole press furore that seems to be happening at the minute. I don't well, know. I think they found that plane some wreckage reasonably quickly. No, it hit the ground. It, it hit, hit the, the ground, ground in, in the one piece. It hit, hit ground. It hit the water in one piece. It flat stalled into the water, but it oh, flat stalled. Is that, is that the one where the where the front blew off and it went up and up and up and then came? No, down? that that was TWA eight hundred. That was a TWA flight, and that was a long time ago. We're talking about the Air France flight from two or three Four years ago from, from Rio. It disappeared in uh, strong, well, they thought it was strong turbulence, but what had actually happened was that the, 
the replacement flight crew didn't know what they were doing and instead of getting the plane out of a stall they pulled it they pulled the nose up and and continued to stall until the captain came in and he came in too late to realize what was going on and it hit yeah. the water yeah. but but there wasn't the same you know desperate search and all the rest that, that i remember around that one that there is around this malaysian one it seems I, to be I'm really sure strange. they found certain evidence of a crash quicker than 10 i think it took ages to find identifiable wreckage but they found a debris field comparatively quickly yeah i mean it's, it's just it seems incredible in this day and age that, that, that a plane a modern aircraft can just disappear I don't and know. Give, I think you know, that's a conceit where we think that the planet is far smaller than it actually is. No, no. Is. But what I mean is, you know, the, 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 you know, it it was still travelling for six hours, but certain elements of the plane had been turned off, or they weren't transmitting. Well, that's what uh, they think. And, and you can think, okay, if someone disabled that, for for what reason? Was it some kind of elaborate suicide? In which case, like the Egyptian air pilot, what a thoughtless bastard for doing that. But or if it's a hijacking where is it and what was the point you know if you're just going to blow the plane up if you're, if you're kind of a terrorist you don't bother with all those elaborate schemes well no you'd also come hide. forward you, you have to do something visually spectacular and the very yeah. nature of this is that it's not visually spectacular but do remember um because this cropped up when people were going oh how do you lose something which is constantly transmitting earlier this century that makes it sound weirdly long ago but it's not that long, uh, sort of 2002 2003 time Somebody, two people stole a Boeing 727 with slightly less sophisticated, but nonetheless present and active transponders. And that plane has never been found, either debris, wreckage or the plane itself. It vanished off the face of the earth. It's not impossible to do. But also, you've got 230 passengers on the plane and no one picked up their airphone or something. is rang up and said, look, we're... We've been hijacked and we're flying in the completely know, the wrong air, direction. I'm sure the air phone comes under the same transponder, uh, chain, yeah. Uh, yeah. same circuit breaker board and everything else. And you can't, use, you can't use a mobile three miles up either. So, you know. How but much so. air crash investigations do you guys watch? Oh, I watch a them. lot. <laughs> Are you part of some kind of reenactment society? Or <laughs> no, 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 no. The best reenactment society in the history of ever. No. Right, that that is the one good thing about this whole event. When they finally do work out what the hell happened to it, you're in for one hell of an episode of uh, Air yeah. Crash Investigation, aren't you? It's a two-part special. Oh, obviously, but we're not, you know, we are thinking about the people that were on there. And it is, you know, if it has crashed, it is a tragedy to... 230 odd families so you know we're not making light of the situation if if you want to put some perspective into it though uh, since the plane disappeared 46 million people have flown and been delivered successfully to their destinations so let's face it the odds are still pretty much on your side so yeah uh, yeah you've actually more chance of winning the lottery which i didn't do no, again no five pound 40 i got hey, and some lucky brit brit got 108 million yeah. That's awesome. That's walking around money. Yeah, that is. Right, okay, let's move on quickly. Uh, Panasonic have launched a free time service. Unfortunately, we didn't have time to go to the press launch, but we'll have all, all the details through, Steve. Uh, so quickly, what is free time service? I'm sure we'll find out more next well, week. Uh, basically, free time is, is uh, free sats catch-up service. Um, so Panasonic are adding this to their TVs that have free sat tuners. Um, and it, clearly, it's, it's an attempt on their part, I guess, to circumnavigate the current exclusivity of ITV player in particular, which is which which has an exclusivity deal with Samsung. So Samsung are the only TVs currently that offer all the catch-up services on on their TVs. No one else can until their ITV player deal is up. But this, I guess, is a clever way of circumventing it. Um, if you have a FreeSat, if you use FreeSat itself and a Panasonic TV, 
I don't think, or at least it's not made clear in, in their press release, uh, whether you can do that with aerials as well. Uh, I think it's just um, through satellite with FreeSat. So I guess it's, you know, it's, a, it's a useful feature um, uh, if you've got a Panasonic TV uh, and you use FreeSat. Wouldn't that deal be kind of more, that Samsung still carried kind of more weight if it was anything other than an ITV player? Well, in my case, definitely, yeah, because I <laughs> <that's> <laughs> ITV anyway. Service, yeah, it's have kind of successfully lived without. <laughs> oh, no, I'm missing out on Coronation Street. Yeah, I mean, this, this would be a good deal if it wasn't FreeSat. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, yeah, I get the impression people are using that less and less and less. But I don't know anybody that uses FreeSat. I mean, if you use FreeSat and you listen to the podcast, then uh, tell us underneath uh, the podcast in the podcast forum, but I'm not aware of anybody that uses FreeSat, and I've only ever tested one TV by taking the, the satellite feed from my Skybox and using it because it's the same uh, same alignment. But um, you'd still have to get the satellite fixed, and it's a strange way of getting your free TV, to be honest. Have you um, had your Sky follow-up call yet? No. no. So you're and, still on to cancel? Uh, yeah, I am, and uh, I, obviously I cut this bit out of last week's podcast, so nobody will know what you're talking about. Oh, sorry. <laughs> But, but just to bring everybody up to date, yes, I had a bit of a falling out with Sky because my Skybox stopped working and I wouldn't replace it, uh, even though I'd been a customer for 20-odd years and they give them away free to new customers. Uh, they would not uh, reward my loyalty and the fact that I pay an absolute fortune every month by replacing my box, so I cancelled and uh, I haven't had any follow-up bed. Right. So they Blimey. obviously don't want my custom. Yep, no, apparently yep, yep. not. That is pretty. Um, I have to say, I, I do find that very, very surprising. Yes, but, I do as well. But I'm sure Roku uh, will be happy with, a, with the new customer. Um, because yes. I am going to buy one uh, on payday. Excellent. But um, you are presumably going to get one last new Wheeler dealers in this evening. Oh, I forgot that was on. Oh, I forgot um, fifth gear as well, having to set my Skybox up. Another thing that Sky did. Uh, still do is a 3D channel, um, which is more than what Sony are, will be doing. Uh, Brilliant segue that. That was nice. Very well, very well yeah. done. Okay. Uh, so Sony pulled the plug on their 3D experience content, which is on their smart platform, Steve. Um, no real surprises there, but their reasoning was a little bit strange. Them saying, well, there's more 3D content available in other forms, so we're going to stop this. Um, well, I can, I, I can understand the logic to a degree, because certainly when the manufacturers, and I believe both LG and Samsung also did this on their smart TV platforms, is by adding 3D content in the early days of 3D when there wasn't very much content around. It did sort of give people a chance to see what it was like. Now, you know, there are quite a lot of 3D Blu-rays available. I mean, hundreds. So, you know, there is a fair bit of 3D content knocking about. Um, obviously, there isn't as much aired content now. I mean, since BBC have stopped doing it, but there is still some Sky content. So I can see the argument, but I think it's probably more indicative of the fact that 3D is largely, uh, has been a failure, obviously, and people are largely apathetic towards it. Um, so why bother continuing? I, I noticed, interestingly, um, that the new film Noah that comes out in a couple of weeks' time uh, is being released in 2D and 3D in most countries, but not in the US and the UK, Australia and France. Because apparently those markets just aren't interested in 3D, whereas it's still incredibly popular in places like Asia, where where 3D is is a big driver of revenues. So um, yeah, I, I think it's probably indicative of the fact that uh, both there is more content available and the fact that most people aren't that interested anyway. I would go with the latter there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just I don't think people are interested. There's only the only exceptions are Avatar and Gravity, really, for for watching something in the cinema in 3D that was popular and. On Blu-ray, Gravity was the 
fastest selling 3D Blu-ray, but they didn't actually well, tell my, us. Well, my wife bought a copy, and actually, I unwrapped a pair of my TV's 3D glasses so she could watch Gravity in 3D on Saturday night. It's a mark of how excited I am towards the prospect of 3D that I took my son upstairs, read him a story, and he fell asleep, and I just pissed about on the internet. <laughs> it doesn't help that Withers sort of gave away the ending. Well. well, I mean, the, the big new hope was gaming. This is where 3D was going to be huge. And uh, if you remember back, Steve, to all, all the stands at CES and other shows, you know, there was a big emphasis on 3D gaming. So, Mark, has it made its impact? Uh, no. <laughs> That's the long why, end why of the short answer. Why, why did it fail so? I mean, it failed. I mean, if you think about it, when we talk about it, 3D, 3D failed in terms of, you know, movies and TV. Yes, it did. But, I mean, it absolutely categorically failed in terms of gaming. I mean, there's hardly any 3D games and no one games in 3D, as far as I'm aware. Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, now, why was an area where I thought it would be incredibly strong, massive, massive failure? Well, I, th- I thought it might be strong there as well, simply because, you know, you, you think that in movies terms it might be, shall we say, more leaning towards CG stuff, sci-fi, that kind of thing. So, you know, you're, you're perfectly within the realms of gaming altogether there. Um, I think it was just lack of content. You had lack of content. You needed a big push to make people really recognise it. It was even out there. I think, um, was it Uncharted 3 was was pushed with the 3D tag. Um, but beyond that, there was just so little and, and people just didn't really realise that it was there. Yeah, but it's strange that Oculus Lift Rift, I'll say that again. Oculus Rift. <laughs> Oculus Rift seems to be changing that perception. And uh, everybody that I know that's tried it has said, you've got to see this. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, well, I mean, that that's kind of, that's your virtual reality, though. So, so therefore, that you're moving into a slightly different sphere there. I mean, I, can we get on to Sony and their VR headset? Yeah, go on. Yeah, well, uh, Sony is set to hopefully re- reveal their VR headset at uh, GDC, the Games Developers Conference. Um, it's one of those things that's been rumoured for a while um, that it would be kind of unveiled at some point. Now it finally seems as if it's going to be coming out. Um, there's going to be uh, a big speech uh, driving the future of innovation on Tuesday. So that would be day well, yesterday, if we're talking today and we're, we're pretending today's Wednesday. Um, R&D bigwigs from Sony, Richard Marks and Anton Mikulov, are going to be hosting it. They were behind the, well, they worked on the PlayStation Eye and uh, Move controller as well. Um, yeah, it's said to be better than the first generation Oculus Rift, uh, those dev kits um, and similar to the latest uh, Crystal Cove iteration. So it, it, it definitely seems like Sony are moving in that direction as well. But there again, having said that, they have had, you know, things like head-mounted displays for some number of years now, and they've hardly, you know, set the world alight. Yeah, you know, which is a shame because uh, we tested um, CES three years ago, four years ago. Yeah. Um, when, the, when the first came out, we, we got to sit down on the chair and actually test them out, and, and they were really good. But there's been no interest for them. Sorry, Mark, to be clear, this isn't Richard Marks who sang right here waiting for you, singer-songwriter of I can neither, I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking, my ears picked up. Richard Marks? Oh, brilliant. Okay, but oh, probably not the same guy. I'm doubting it somehow. But if, if he has, then he's done, he's done well for himself it's, there. It, it pays I'm, to diversify. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there's more than one Richard Marks in the world. I'm sure there is too, but it's nice to pretend. 
No, but yeah, I mean, they, they've had these head-mounted displays for a while, but again, similar to 3D, it, it all comes down to content. You know, um, as soon as you, you step into the realm of VR, it's it's not simply a case of tweaking existing games and throwing that in. You know, it's uh, there are particular genres that it tends to work better with, you know, things like uh, cars and, and cockpit views, that kind of thing. Um, you know, lots of problems with motion sickness and, and certainly with things like control method. You know, some people feel that something like the traditional joypad won't won't be sufficient for what you want. You know, you will want something motion control to go along with it. So there are various hurdles there, but the, the key one is, is going to be exactly the same as with 3D, which is no one's going to really want just reworked content. You need something designed around it. Yeah, that's well, good. you know, that, that's, key, that's a good point. So I was going to say the other key thing is obviously going to be pricing because the headsets we've seen to date, Phil, have been like 1,000 quid yeah. or above, more than that. Now, this headset is designed to be used with the PS4. You can't be selling a headset that costs twice, three times as much as the player. I would counter, I would qualify that you can't be selling only one headset at that price. I would say that there's a bizarre mileage in having a Halo product, not referencing the game, just it's an aspirational one, and then two or one or two more sensibly priced ones below that point. Um, there's definite mileage in having something which people of that in, interested in the category aspire to its existence. Definitely, even if you don't then sell many of them. Great, I can pretend to be Pierce Brosnan in Lawnmower Man. That's probably not the best example. That's the only example I could think of. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it it just gives you a sense of of, of what's you know uh, of you know what you can aspire to. There are surprisingly few virtual reality films. Actually, now you mentioned it, Ed. I'm trying to think of other examples. Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, there was a good oh, what, episode where, of where, Merge, where though, his months. his storage is he, the storage of Keanu Reeves's head is is less than the. Um, the actual storage I have in my house now, <laughs> <laughs> which I suppose may or may not be apt, but and, and there was uh, what was that film? Oh, D- Disclosure. They had the the VR filing system in that, which was, <laughs> became a major you know plot point within the film, and now looks hideously outdated. Okay, so moving on from uh, <laughs> VR headsets, uh, we're talking about games. We may as well continue talking about games. The Xbox One Titanfall sales boost. Yep, um, touting a big. Uh, 96% sales leap, which sounds absolutely fantastic. A um, couple of, you know, kind of minor caveats to go with this, which is uh, I think it's weekly. Um, and also it's with obviously with Titanfall being bundled in, there are going to be huge amounts of people who would want to buy the Titanfall bundle. will wait until Titanfall has come out. And so therefore it kind of drops what people will be spending the week before and bumps it the week after. So, you know, it's, it's a great good news story. Um, but it, it does show, I mean, Titanfall's jumped straight in at number one in the games charts. And so obviously bundle copies help boost that massively. Um, I think Knack, when it was bundled with the PS4, similarly rose a lot higher than, should we say, reviews or, or you know, consumer enthusiasm should have seen it. Uh, it's, it's just it's just good value. They've dropped now the Titanfall bundle. You can pick up an Xbox One with Titanfall for under £400. So it doesn't seem that much of a shock to the system anymore if you take into account 
you know, a PS4 plus a game, the games, you know, still aren't dropping. Certainly high street prices, less than kind of 50 pounds. You know, you're lucky if you can find anything around 40 pounds, you know, certainly for a new release. Uh, so, yeah, it's all round. It's it's pretty good news for UK Xbox One sales. Can I just say as well, another gold star to Microsoft, a cracking TV spot. Oh, isn't it fantastic? It's a love. A, a, what 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 a nicely implemented crazy idea because it gives you a little insight into the game without you know laboring the point and it it's cool it's light-hearted and it's it's the right length as well really nicely done bravo i have That's not it. seen the advert you're talking about me and you my just shadow don't watch enough television do you no i don't watch any television <laughs> especially lower down the dials where advertising is cheap <laughs> I, don't, I don't watch television with advertising if i can help it or if I do, I always record it and then skip the advert. So. See, this is the world of the PVR, isn't it? This is the generation which will grow up without being able to hum the, the, the Coco Pops advert. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it's it's a conversation point. before, but TV t- is changing fundamentally. And my parents have just got a... I don't, I don't want to go into detail here, actually, because I'm not sure how legal it all is uh, in Spain, but they've got what's effectively a Roku box, um, which provides streaming content. And, yeah, they're in their 70s, and they've totally got into the whole idea of streaming, watching what they want, when they want, how they want. So they can get that. You know, you've got to think broadcast television must seriously be under pressure. Well, I mean, it's it's weird. My, my bias, you know, I have in the past worked in marketing. I was spectacularly bad at it, but I have respect for people who weren't. I, every now and again, a, well, a well-crafted advert, I'll still watch it once. And that may or may not be enough. As I say, the Titanfall advert, it, it stuck in the mind enough for me to bring it up. It's been days since I last saw it. I just thought it, it looked it looked good, and I thought it was very clever. In the same way that um, uh, the other great example of that was the Aldi advert, the spoofing the Calvin Klein underwear one, with the bloke with the the high voice talking about different types of champagne. Just nicely done. And that was about a twenty second ad as well. That was that was really very clever indeed. Yeah, I, I'll, I, I'll tell I, you what I, I miss. That sort of thing. I'll tell you what I miss. I miss the adverts at the local cinema. For, for oh, the, local, the, the local adverts for the local the companies those were classic so you can find some of them on YouTube if, if you yeah. do some search on YouTube with, with the old Peril and Dean trailer at the start and then the really, they're really footage. badly produced local commercials <laughs> it was the same, bit of stock footage and then a place card and a, and a crappy voiceover and that, that was it yeah. every single one yeah. yeah, I do miss those. <laughs> Unfortunately, the only place I do have to watch adverts is at the cinema, which really pisses me off because I've just paid money to get into the cinema. Why am I sitting through adverts at all? <laughs> um, and then, of course, you know, if you're watching more than one film in a day or something like that, yeah. or even over, over a couple of weeks, you have to sit through exactly the same adverts over and over again. I mean, you know, the Americans, it might be noisy during the movies, but the, the two or three uh, presentations that I've been to in the States in cinemas, no advertising. No, no, no. They were absolutely, absolutely, Americans... Well, will not accept that. They said that we're paying to see a movie. They don't mind advertising on TV. It's free. That's the, that's the price you pay, effectively. It's free, but you've got to put up with advertising. If you're paying to sit in a cinema, there's no f-ing way they're going to sit through advert breaks, and I don't blame them at all. That's what pisses me off. Why am I watching adverts when I've just paid 10 quid to watch this film? Steve, have you, have, you, have you got a drink with you? Oh, yeah, go out, I suppose, and come back no, in. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. As we're talking on this podcast, have you got a drink with you? No, you're, Because no, if not. you don't, I'd recommend that you, you poured yourself 
a stiff one and, <laughs> and, and, and CTFD. Yeah, I, the only other thing is I'm going to pull you up on that argument because you haven't paid a tenner to get in. You got one of those cinema passes. Well, no, not in my case, but you know, generally. <laughs> It's the principle. It's the principle. Yeah, well, no, it is the principle. I, I could it? have spent a tenner. Why? Why am I? Why, why are you showing adverts and something that you paid to sit in anyway? Yeah, unlimited pass, yeah. and we're still waiting for a review of the One Direction movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might have to wait a long time for that. Right, is that the games news done? Yeah, that's games so, news. Such I'd as it was. Plug the podcast then. Yeah, so let's go back to hardware because we didn't cover everything. <laughs> Uh, right, so we'll be back to hardware in a sec. Two quick stories. Uh, Onkyo launched a new range of uh, budget AV receivers. Steve, uh, Ultra HD compatible, not a lot else on there. Considering it's Onkyo uh, and they like to put every bell and whistle on their stuff. I think they probably run out of things to put on them. I mean, the last review um, receivers that I saw of theirs, you know, they did have a hell of a lot of features. I mean, those, you know, and they put the little logos along the front. I mean, they were running out of space, frankly. So they've got them two new receivers, uh, the TXNR535, which is 5.2 channel, and there's a 7.2 channel TXNR636. The big deal is that they can handle 4K 60 hertz uh, video. They also have HTCP uh, 2.2, which is a definite step up because they did have uh, 4K upscaling on their previous receivers but they couldn't even pass 4k even the old you know 4k up to 30 hertz so that's a step up on their part i think their previous approach was slightly short short sighted but i guess the idea is you add more features and then sell another load of receivers uh, other than that though you're right phil i mean the, the actual feature feature set's pretty standard there's not much in there that's um i think apart from the 4k cover uh support i think there's anything Yes, yeah. there's not available already on yeah. on other receivers. Okay, uh, another uh, price wise, uh, sorry, price wise, the six three six is five hundred quid, and the five three five is four hundred pounds. So I guess in that point of view, they're quite good value. I mean, I'm quite amazed at how cheap a lot of receivers are these days. Considering yeah. what's a nice, in them. a nice industrial design as well. It's not unlikely to scare the horses. I, I've got to say, Onkyo really are ugly and I say that as, as someone who has a 5007 in his system it makes no apologies for what it is it, it's and also it's quite logical lots of buttons rather than chasing through menus if you haven't got the remote to hand there's normally the button on the front to make it stop or start doing what you're hoping it to do which I, I, I think is potentially advantageous Okay, uh, and we talked about Aura 3D last week on the podcast. Just something that um, I found as I was going through doing a little bit of research um, because we, we wanted to find out if Atmos was going to be as easy to implement in the home. And a, a little bit of information that I found, Stephen, I was discussing this with you this afternoon, is uh, Steinway Ling- Lingdorf and Denon and Morant are partners. And the rumour is that we're going to see uh, AVRs later in the year with Auto 3D at reasonable prices. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, I guess it's inevitable that it will filter down into lower price products and start being included on on AV receivers. The question is obviously when and how cheap it'll actually be compared. But I mean, compared to what it's currently priced at, which is what 50, 10 to fifteen thousand pounds. I guess you know anything's going to be cheaper than that. But yeah, I mean, it, it looks like um, Denon and Morantz could well be the first ones out of the gates with with. Uh, Auro uh, capabilities on their receivers. I think it's going to be good news, particularly since we discussed last week. You know, this is not that difficult to implement. It's not like adding two arrays of speakers over your head. You know, you can you can add a significant, make a significant difference to your uh, 
to your sounds, you know, to the sound system and, and the sound sound stage, if you like, around you, just by adding these four additional height speakers in the front and rears. So, I think that's good news. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Right to wrap up, uh, Sony HW55. It's their budget projector. Um, always good value for money. These projectors, Steve, even though everything on them is manual. Yeah, I mean, it's £2,800, you get two pairs of glasses in there, uh, although they are RF glasses, um, sorry, they are IR glasses and not RF glasses, which is unusual these days. And um, I've got to say, I really wish Sony would redesign the glasses. I, I watched The Hobbit in 3D, the extended cut, and I've got to say, these glasses were killing my head after about an hour. They're so uncomfortable. They really pinched the bridge of your nose. Uh, but otherwise... Um, I mean, it's it's a cracking budget projector. I mean, I say budget. I guess it's their budget projector. Obviously, a lot of people would consider you know below a thousand pounds as budget, but in terms of Sony's range of projectors, this is their entry level model. Um, it is in the same sort of price bracket as the JVC X thirty five and the uh, Epson TW nine two hundred. Apart from the fact it has a manual lens shift, um, zoom and focus. It is a really well-specified objective. It's got a full CMS, um, two-point white balance control, has a reality creation in there. It's got a dynamic iris. Um, it's a great little performer. The blacks aren't as good as the JVC, obviously, even when you use a dynamic iris, I have to say. Um, but I do think it, it is a very capable perform performer. Um, and although I can't really see many major differences between this model and the one that was before, the HW50, I mean, it's still interesting that Sony continue to produce an entry-level projector because certainly JVC, for example, haven't this year. They've continued to just produce the X35, although that is a very good projector. Um, I think if I was being asked which one would I choose between the two, given that I use a scope screen, I would definitely go for the JVC because I think having a motorized lens feature and a lens memory feature are valuable additional um, features for me personally uh if you didn't use a, a, a scope screen and weren't too concerned about that then obviously the fact that man, the Sony's manual isn't such a big deal um in terms of performance it produces a really nice picture 3d is very good uh if you're still interested in that um and uh yeah it's all around it's, it's a really solid uh very capable um projector in the sort of 2500 to 3000 pound price bracket Okay, and the re review for that will be up uh, probably in time for this podcast going up yeah, as well. So, yeah, we'll so go and check that out. We'll be back in a sec with movie news. Okay, so uh, let's start movie news with what's at the cinema, Steve? This week it's Need for Speed. Uh, which and Mark can correct me if Mark can correct me if I'm wrong here is based upon a video game. Although I'm not actually aware of this video. Sure game to personally. be a sign of quality. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's a yes. Sign of I'll say one thing for Need for Speed: they did all the uh, stunt work and the practical car effects are done for real. They're not CG, and they are really impressive. There are some amazing stunt work in this film that looks incredible. The problem is they spent a lot of time doing the stunts and no time at all working on a plot, screenplay, or decent characterization. What cars, so what you're left with... What cars sorry? are in it, Steve? For, for oh, I if, you're a, if you're a petrol head, if you're a petrol head, it's an absolute wet dream of a movie for terms of the cars that are in it. You've, but I mean, I don't know any of these cars. But I mean, there's the main car in it is is a, a Ford Mustang. It's a Shelby Mustang. So it was in the, within the context of the story, is that the, the GT Mustang? Is that the GT yeah, 500? See, this is where it's weird. It's the Shelby trait, the Shelby... Um, sort of approved Ford platform Mustang because bizarrely 
the Shelby Foundation, because obviously Carol Shelby is dead, they make a Mustang all of their own. But Ford's one is the GT500. Shelby makes something called the GT350, which despite having a smaller number, is far more terrifying. But that's by the by. Sorry. Okay. Uh, well, the, within the context of the story, it was the last one that Shelby, him, the Carol Shelby worked on before he died, apparently. Bollocks. Yeah, obviously it's bollocks. <laughs> Sorry. If you think that's bollocks, wait till we get on to the rest of the film. <laughs> so, I mean, okay, let's go through the plot for a second here, what, what such as it is. Um, you've got um, Aaron Paul, who most famously is, is in Breaking Bad. He plays a guy called Toby, who is a racer, street racer, but also runs a garage where they do um, you know, exotic car um, tuning and that kind of stuff. And um, uh, his sort of enemy called Dino, played by Dominic Cooper. Why their why their enemies isn't really made that clear, although I think it's because he pinched Toby's girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, who's now engaged to. Um, but he turns up and, and offers um, him to completely renovate this Shelby Mustang, uh, and he'll give him a percentage of the sale price. And so he renovates it, and then um, up turns Imogen Poots, who's playing this English girl who is a uh, exotic car buyer for a rich guy. Um, he, um, Toby claims that he can get the car to do 234 miles an hour. Dominic says it's not possible. Um, he takes on to race jack, proves that he can. And then because he feels slighted, uh, Dominic Cooper's character um, challenges into a street race. And they're using, I have to look up this because I... There's a Veyron, isn't there? The, no, the... Not, no, no, that's later. That's later. Okay, fine. This, this, this street race, uh, hang on, let me just pull up the name of this car because I can't pronounce it. Is it K, Koenigsegg? Yeah, the Koenigsegg. Koenigsegg, yeah. yeah. What were they called? Koenigsegg. Well, it's the one that Stig crashed. They're, they're made in Sweden, <laughs> and bizarrely, you can buy one of them which runs entirely on alcohol, which I approve of. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what you run on, isn't it, Ed? <laughs> yes, it is, except I can't do over 200 miles an hour. <laughs> so um, I think the Koenigsegg's doing better than me. Yeah, that was yeah. the one that nearly they, killed the Stig, basically. They have a race using... Um, Three, Koenigsegg Ageras. Yes. Ageras, Ageras. Um, so there's Toby, there's Dino, and also um, a guy called Little Pete, who is uh, Toby's friend and little brother of Dino's girlfriend, Toby's ex-girlfriend. <laughs> right, so they have a massive race, a uh, street race, and, um, you know, you know this is not going to end well. Um, and also, you're watching the film thinking, right, they're, right. they're driving through streets with pedestrians and other cars on them at like 200 miles an hour. This is unbelievably reckless and dangerous. Now, within the context of a video game, maybe that's fine, but within a narrative of a movie, which is meant to be slightly more realistic... But isn't that every just, car chase movie? No, uh, because they just seem so completely cavalier about it. And, and <laughs> you, you find it really difficult to actually empathise with the characters. You're thinking, like, you deserve to go to jail. You're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you I mean, see, Mark, I have to point this out. In the original Fast and the Furious, which, as we all know, is the is the benchmark by which all of these <laughs> others are judged, they do, they do, there's actually, well, you know, if you streets. like, it's a, two, a two, yeah, two-minute seeg of them clo- closing it down. I'm so just can... thinking traditionally, you know, bullet, uh, French connection, yeah, you know. The... Ah, no, that's baddie, baddie being chased by cop. That's different. Yeah. The street racing. This is just idiots almost, just yeah. racing and putting other well, well, my, lives. Well, my question is, how the hell did they manage to afford to have three Koenigsegg? Oh, uh, well, within what you really want to know, because basically Dino's <laughs> uncle owns three of them. I mean, not just one, three, right? So they have a three Koenigsegg. As, okay. as you do. that with Alfa Romeo's, as but it do. seems overkill with Koenigsegg's. Yeah. Right. Anyway, Toby gets banged up for manslaughter, which frankly he deserved to be, um, and then gets out after two years, and then he wants to get revenge on Dino because Dino has set him up. And in order to do that, he re- he, has to, he wants to enter a race, a race called the... the, the it's called the... Hang on. <laughs> 
What's the race? The Leon, the De Leon race, right? Which is a winner takes all exotic supercar race organized by a guy called Monarch, played by um, Michael Keaton. Are you sure this wasn't an episode of Towie or something you've actually yeah, It does sound like Towie. <laughs> it feel like some sort of LSD fevered flashback dream, is what it starts to like When you start trying to describe the plot to somebody, you know, okay, I'm, the film's over two hours long, which it didn't you have for a kickoff. So you've far. You've spent longer describing this than yeah, they spent writing it. Writing it, definitely. <laughs> So, so then he has to get across America. So he has to get from New York to San Francisco in 48 hours in the, in the Shelby Mustang with Imogen Poop sitting in the right seat um, in order to, to be accepted to take part in this race. He goes across America, right? He's being chased by like half the police force in, of the United States. He's across, he crosses state borders. It means, therefore, it's a, it's a federal offence, whatever he's doing. Um, so we, we have the FBI after him as well. You know, you think in the modern day and age, in a distinctive car, he's going to get caught pretty quickly. But somehow he makes it all the way across America and gets to San Francisco and there's no one waiting for him. No, at no point did the police ever deploy those things. What are they called, Phil? You put across the road with spikes. Of Sting up. Time. Yeah. They don't ever deploy those, which would seem like a pretty obvious thing. At one point, a cop, to stop one of the other cars in the race bit, the, 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 the Leon race, puts his car into accelerate, you know, pushes down the accelerator with a stick and then lets it go, lets the handbrake go and shoots it into one of the other cars. That's a very effective police method for stopping a speeding car, I think. It's just utterly, utterly ludicrous. At one point, one of his friends, um, who's, but after all, he's been in prison for two years, has got a job working, in a, you know, in some boring office. You know, he, he gives him a call and says, come and join my team again. So the guy takes off all of his clothes and walks out bollock naked out of the building for no obvious reason whatsoever. It's just to be fair. I I I I did that at Yamaha. I didn't really, but I I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I think people are probably glad you didn't, Ed. Oh uh, yeah. Um. Yeah. It, it's um. So basically, it's it's got no plot, no characters, spectacular stunts, um, which unfortunately have been largely wasted on a film that's just so vacuous and empty. It's just, and you also feel that morally, it's just slightly ambiguous. Because, well, not even ambiguous, it's just morally, uh, you know, corrupted because you feel that why would you possibly empathise with people who are doing something so reckless and dangerous and stupid all the time? Mark's out of 10. Don't leave us hanging. How Toby thinks his plan to get revenge and prove his innocence involves <laughs> destructively driving across the whole of America, where at the end of it, he gets six months, by the way. He would have got like 20 years <laughs> for what he did. Uh, I give it six out of ten, and that's mostly for the stunts. And if you're obviously if you like stunts and you like the game and you're a petrol head, you'll probably enjoy. I, I think more the petrol head side of things. I think uh, if you're a petrol head, you'll probably dig that kind of element of the film. If you're anything other than those, you're going to be bored to tears. No, this is a serious question. Do they make these uh, car movies the same as they used to? And I'm thinking the likes of Smokey and the Bandit and uh, Cannonball Run, and you know the old fun films of the the, the the golden age of what we'd say would be the car movie, you know, the road trip movie or the or the being chased by the cops, uh, you know, the the one where all the cops smash into each other and you get like, I think they started making fun of it deliberately in these films because it would start with like three cop cars all landing on each other and I think by the end of it it was ninety eight cop cars all piling up and. Well, I think there's that other. famous in Blues Brothers when they've got <laughs> hundreds of police yeah. cars chasing them. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it, you know, those were fun movies, but there was an element of plot to them. Smoking the band, it was trying to get alcohol across state lines, which amazingly was still illegal in the 70s. You couldn't transport beer 
from state yeah, to state, and uh, which quite quite you know. I, I think that's one of the problems with the film is it is missing that element of fun. Um, I mean, certainly Dominic Cooper's having fun. He's playing a, a villain that's you know borderline pantomime. He might as well be twirling a moustache. Uh, and Imogen Poot seems to be enjoying herself, and she's quite cute in it, which makes you know, it acceptable. But um, Aaron Paul, you know, he's so he was in, in an effort to appear intense. Looks like a psycho most of the time, and and you does you don't feel like you're really having as much fun as you should be. In, you know, you can kind of forgive some of the reckless behaviour if it was done in a comic way, but the fact is that the stunts are so good, and the, and and the practical effects are so you know visceral that it makes you more aware of the fact that this is really dangerous. There's there's um, one shot in the advert that I see on the TV, um, or the Shelby coming towards the camera, and it looks CGI. So. No, it's not. I mean, honestly, the only things in it that I could see were definitely CGI with some of the flames. Some of the flame stuff is, is was obviously CGI, but otherwise, all the car work is all practical. There's a brilliant bit where I mean, they did actually put the the, the actors through driving lessons you know, for certain scenes, which were, they were allowed to do you know, within the insurance, obviously, of the, the film itself. But there's one where Aaron Paul does actually skid the car out towards the camera and gets out of the door, and that was him that did it, um, apparently. And that does look quite cool. Um, so, so yeah, I mean the stunt work's incredible, um, but it's just unfortunate these stuntmen are risking their lives for such a you know vacuous, pointless film. Okay, so it's not going to be an Oscar winner like Fast and the Furious then. Uh, well, the Fast and the Furious had the sensibility to realise that actually racing cars was a bit boring ultimately, and they need to do something else. So they added in things. Maybe they became heist movies. Um, and also you know, they brought in, in The Rock. Know. And one of the, the strongest homoerotic relationships of, yes. you know, ever committed to celluloid. <laughs> Absolutely, definitely. But I mean, I think also that Fossil Fuse has got quite an interesting cast of characters in it. Um, this, Neva Speed doesn't have an interesting cast of characters in it, unfortunately. It wants, desperately wants to be um, a new Fast and Furious franchise, but it's not. I mean, looking at the budget, its box office from the weekend in the states, it's, it was beaten by Sherman and Mr. Peabody, and um, and in the cinema I was in, um, admittedly, it was a sunny day. Um, it was in the evening, but admittedly it had been a really nice day on Sunday. But um, but there was about six of us in the, in, in the entire cinema, I've which just, I thought was, for opening weekend was pretty small. I've just read that the cars aren't real. Well, no, they, um, they, they're, no, they're not real cars. Like they're, they're rolling, rolling shells. To... Yeah, yeah. But they are physical practice. I, I was going to say, I mean, if, if you've got a... You know, You're not smashing up a three million motor, <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is, the, in the, the Leon race at the end, there is a, um, a a Bugatti. Is it B- no? The, the, Bugatti Veyron. Bugatti yeah. Veyron's in there. Yeah. There's there's. I mean, there's about sort of twenty million quid, technically twenty million quid worth of car cars in that race. There's only six cars in it. Um, but, but obviously, yeah, they're not using the actual cars. But even the re- even the sort of the um, replicas are uh, like three hundred grand a pop. So not cheap. Okay. So um, I don't know how I'm... it compares to the game, by the way, Mark, because obviously I haven't played it. But it looks like a game, basically. I mean, there's whole bits when. Uh, they're, they're during the race, they're showing like on iPads and computer screens, you know, that has them moving around the course, which just looks like, you know, a section on a game. And, and it is a bit like watching someone else play a video game sometimes, which again is pretty boring. Not even still gonna rise to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, watching someone else play is not much fun, is it? It's more, you, the idea is to play yourself. I'm sure you're an expert at playing movies. Yeah. <laughs> Did you say Imogen Poop? Poots. In the third, I think this is the third film I've seen her in in, in five months. She's in Filth. She was in uh, that awkward moment a few weeks ago, and now she's in this. And she's got another film out next week with Aaron Paul again. She was in that awkward moment. That, that I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, more awkward for her than me, I suspect. <laughs> As you were. But I think she's going to be a big star. That girl, she's going places. 
Okay. Okay. Thanks for that, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Seal of approval. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Never uh, heard of again. <laughs> Blu-ray is released this week. Catch and Fire, Escape Plan, The Counselor, Blue is the Warmest Colour. We've reviewed all of them. They're all up on the site now if you want to go and read the reviews. Uh, so we're going to keep this short because the reviews are up there. Uh, which one would you recommend people buy, Steve? Well, uh, the obvious one is going to be Catching Fire. It's you know, the second Hunger Games movie. Um, great disc, lovely picture. Apart from one thing, it's one of those annoying movies with multiple aspect ratios. The, uh, the Hunger Games sequences were shot with IMAX cameras. So basically it's 2.35 to 1 until the Hunger Game itself starts and then it switches to 1.85 to 1. And then after the Hunger Game is ended, it goes back to 2.35 to 1 again, which really pissed me off. I really hate it when it does that. Chris yeah. Nolan's got a lot to answer for there. But otherwise, in terms of picture quality, sound quality, extras, it's superb. Uh, great film too, really enjoyed it. Escape Plan's good laugh. Um, Schwarzenegger and, um, and Stallone. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's the kind of thing you definitely want to buy. I mean, I don't know if it's really seven, want to buy it. Seven pounds on Amazon. Uh, can't go wrong then seven quid the councillor avoid like the plague it's going to be you know given the pedigree of the film Ridley Scott Cormac McCarthy writing it the cast Javier Bardem Cameron Diaz Michael Fassbender Brad Pitt how all those people managed to make something so bad is beyond me Blue is the Warmest Colour is my personal choice of those four films Uh, it's a French movie about a relationship between two girls it's very sexually explicit but it is absolutely brilliant it's one of those rare films I think that really stays with you a long time after you've seen it because it's emotionally affecting uh yeah no it's, it's really well the acting is absolutely brilliant in it they it won the palm door and they, unusually they gave it to the director and the two actresses because i think they were so important in terms of the um the success of the movie um but i think it's a brilliant film and if you if you're broad-minded and not to be easily offended it's worth watching it does have a 15 minute lesbian sex scene let's put it that way <laughs> Uh, right, okay, so uh, that kind of wraps up um, movies. We need to do a little bit of housekeeping before we finish this evening. So, uh, first of all, uh, next week's uh, podcast will not be going out on Wednesday. It's likely to be Thursday or Friday because myself and Steve are heading uh, to Amsterdam on next Monday for uh, the Panasonic Stop. Convention. Uh, it's a yearly thing. It's a bit late this year. It's normally in February. Uh, they moved it to March. No plasma TVs. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see in terms of TVs, what you know, Panasonic's plans are. I think we can guess it's going to be 4K LED LCD TVs, and they're going to give us some market and waffle about how LED now has a picture quality uh, the same as plasma. You know, interesting to say that now that they stopped making plasma. Uh, so that's, I'm sure that's just a coincidence, Phil. I, I'm sure it is just a coincidence, <laughs> Stephen, not market and waffle. Uh, but we will be able to see them uh, next Monday, and then hopefully get them in for review shortly after that uh, so that's why the podcast will be late next week so don't expect us to be there on Wednesday it's, it's going to be Thursday or Friday before uh, we publish the other thing is uh, the Cracker Challenge uh, Ed you got your um, video it, Ed, I've been doing some work I, I have to say I do firmly agree with the gentleman that posted um, in the uh, in, in the last podcast thread. I, I, I'm, I'm confident from, from some initial experiments it is it's three that's the challenge. Two's doable. It's doable sober. You know, <laughs> no, I don't know. If, if you think you can do three, do three then in a minute. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I was looking uh, interested. There was a, one, a, a, um, an article that appeared on Cracked this week of a bloke that did five of these stupid online challenges so you don't have to. You know, the spoonful of cinnamon. Um, yeah, well, that's the next one for you. 
No, not not a, <laughs> not a chance. The the cinnamon one is just just ruinous. The wasabi one looks more interesting, but I mean that's that's of more interest to me because I always like those insane wings challenges on Man vs Food, and uh, I only have five remaining taste buds, which means I'm kind of you know well well prepped for those sort of things. So yeah. no, remember yeah, you're not allowed any liquids when you do yeah. this, and it has to be videoed. Uh, and that was the same challenge to the, the lad that posted on the uh, the forum post as Andy, well. I think he did that. Um, it has to be videoed. You have to video it. It's no good coming I, on. I saying, liked his I reply. Do you really want to see a fat man eating crackers? And I'm thinking, well, they've asked yes. for me to do it. You know, <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound. No, I want to see a fat man failing to eat two crackers in a minute. Oh, what can I say? All right. Okay. So. Um, yeah, rather than speaking about this, let's try and crack it up, crack it off for now. <laughs> let's try and have it next week. Is that possible? Okay. I'll yeah. see what I can do. Yeah. Okay, and just uh, I'll give you the address to send the video footage, and uh, we'll make sure the video footage accompanies the podcast when it goes out. Uh, and that's it for this week's EB Forums podcast. I need to thank Steve Withers. What's Belgium famous for? Chocolates and child abuse, and they only invented the chocolates to get to the kids. Mark Buttright. I have the capacity to change. And Ed Selly. Altogether, I had five pints of beers and six bottles. No, six pints of beers and seven bottles. And you know what? I'm not even this. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmarkavforums.com for the latest reviews, news and video. Plus, you can leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. And also, just remember, we're not here next Wednesday. It's going to be Thursday or Friday. So I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) 